when there's a faithful couple who founds their giving one to the other upon God's giving to the church, they are capable of being faithful. And that fidelity is what draws people to God. So just being is beautiful. Just being together is beautiful. And it works on the unconscious of people. And just a very kind of a prosaic example, I remember my wife and, and I and the kids were walking across a church parking lot once to go to Mass. And um, we got into the church and an old lady stopped us and said, your family is just so beautiful. In other words, she was contemplating us. And what were we doing? Walking across a parking lot. We're just walking across a parking lot. So just being, exercising fidelity. Look, there's a family. Look, there's a couple. Look, they have kids. Look, they're worshiping God. That's a mission. There's a mission in that fidelity. And this is why it's important for us to understand and to keep praying about how our relationship is taken up into something bigger than us. And it's sustained by that which is bigger than us. What's the bigger? Christ loving his church. Ephesians 5. Christ loving his church. This is the mystery. Mystery is another word for sacrament. This is the sacrament. This is the the reality that you are being taken up into. What reality? Christ loving his church. Oh my gosh, it seems so abstract. What are you talking about? And you always concretize it, and that's the great brilliance of God's love for us in the incarnation. So how, how are you Christ loving his church? When you don't throw each other to the curb. That's pretty incarnational. When you do what every human being has ever said proves love to them since you were a little kid, it's the small things that count. You've heard that since you were born. Why is that? Because that's where we all live our lives. We all live our lives in the minutia of the ordinary. So yes, the uh, fight that Marianne and I had over the pot the other night ended not in divorce, but in forgiveness. In that pot episode, God was loving his church. It has nothing to do with mystical ecstasy and being taken out of your body to the seventh heaven. It has everything to do with fighting about the pot and then all the wounds that you caused each other in the fighting about the pod. Reincorporated into your love for one another. And the fidelity deepens. That's Christ loving his church. So it may sound abstract, but it's incredibly real. In fact, almost too ordinary for most Americans. They want more. They want more than forgiveness over a dirty pot. But that's it, guys. That's all we got. It's called real life. We don't have the projection of fantasy 
into some type of perfection or endless excitement in marriage. We only have the day-to-day showing up, staying together. In the end, this is very consoling because we don't have superpowers. That's why we love those the superpower movies, because we wish, again, projecting that we could make things magically interesting. But we can't, because we're human. And the reason we fantasize so much about superpowers and magic stuff is our contemplative prayer is not deep enough. The human is satisfied in the ordinary. The human is never satisfied in the uh, superpower fantasy projection. And the only way we can come to love the ordinary is if our prayer is deep enough to sustain us in that day-to-day reality that very rarely doesn't change. There's an old guy I know who says, you know, every time you say hello to him, you say, what's new? And he always says, nothing, thank God. You know, that embrace of the, wow, wasn't that a great day? Nothing happened. We didn't have to go to the emergency room. Bob didn't get fired, right? The house didn't fall apart. How was your day? It was great. Nothing happened. I just existed within the ordinary, with all the people I love and God. So that's sort of the poverty that Catholic Americans are supposed to be moving other Americans toward in their evangelization of them. What's that poverty? Isn't the ordinary beautiful? And that's, of course, God's revelation of Bethlehem. God's revelation of Nazareth. Isn't the ordinary beautiful? His wisdom, right, in not having Jesus born on the steps of the temple in Jerusalem, but instead to have him born in a cave or stable, surrounded by farm animals, where nobody wants to be. Nobody wants to be surrounded by farm animals. It's not true. That's the projection of the ordinary, right? Excuse me, that's the rejection of the ordinary. Now you might say, heck, I'm sick of the ordinary. And that's when you go and do silly things, like go on an Alaska cruise or something. Because you're, you're missing the point. Or you go to Vegas. I don't know why people do that. And they do that because they're missing the point. <clears throat> What's the point? Depth. Go deeper into your kitchen. Go deeper into your property. Go deeper into your home. Go deeper into your town. Don't escape it. Don't go away from it. That amazing um, meditation about Jesus, that he really, he just went between Nazareth and Bethlehem and Jerusalem. Then he died. It's like a lot of people I know I've met since I've moved to Nebraska, right? They've lived here, they've not gone far, and then they die here. Why? Because it was sufficient. What was sufficient? The depth of their commitments to the ordinary. Most people have adulterous affairs because they cannot suffer the ordinary. They cannot suffer 
the depth of going into the day today. And so first they'll get drunk and then they'll experiment with travel and then they'll try and do 300 channels on TV to try to get them artificial consolation. Then they'll have an affair. Then they'll jump from work to work, job to job. Then they'll start moving. Hey, maybe we should go to Omaha. Hey, maybe we should go to St. Paul. I mean, relax. Everything's going to be the same no matter where you are. And if you're intrinsically incapable of loving the ordinary here, you're going to be intrinsically incapable of loving it in Minneapolis or New York City or Paris. So the, the beautiful trick, if you will, of God is that everything is where you are because we were made for each other. That's why last night when I said the only thing I want to do is get this retreat over with and go home. You guys don't want that necessarily. You don't want to listen to me. Especially you don't want to listen to me twice while you're eating breakfast. But you don't want to go home, right? Because your home's right next to you. Your home's right next to you. Unless you're having a bad morning. You had a fight already. Now you think, well, this is not my home, buddy. That's just temporary tension that's passing between you. But real love, no matter where you are, your home. And, and when a, a, a person or both in the couple pick that up, their happiness is already exponentially better than most Americans. Because most Americans think that separating and going away from each other is interesting, exciting, adventurous. But no matter where you are, you're home. Think of how ordinary that is. Where's the place you want to be most in the world, right? Most people in love will say, with a person, not a geographical area. I want to be with this person. Doing what? I don't care. I mean, maybe not going to Target, but I really don't care where we're going. Because I'm with her, or I'm with him, you know. Wherever I am... I'm home. I remember one woman was astonished that Marianne revealed to her that I go grocery shopping with her. She was like, are you kidding? Now that may be a, like a reflection on my intrinsic boredom, but yes, Jim always goes grocery shopping with me. And I, I just can feel my old man nature being solidified in that. But yeah, I don't mind grocery shopping with her because I like being with her. What am I going to do? Sit alone at home? Am I going to do a hobby? Woodworking? I might as well be with her because someday she's going to die. And I won't be with her. Oh, that's so negative. Why are you so negative? Well, I'm negative because I have an Irish background. But I'm also negative because I, I'm looking at reality. And looking at reality, you realize that death is part of that. And you said from the very beginning you wanted to be with each other. So go to high V. What's the big deal? Just go. And anyway, if you go there, he'll be there or she'll be there. So part of our deep, deep-seated conversion is to start loving what we hate. And what we hate is that every moment is not exciting. 
But in entering more deeply into that, we come to love the limits and the finitude of what a human being is. In other words, we begin deeper and deeper into reality. It's the same complaint people have for the Mass, right? That's why we try to jazz it up so much with liturgical dancing and whatever else people do. Because they just don't think that bread and wine and a story and priest and then all these neighbors that we have is just not jazzy enough. And what God is trying to say is, this is all that you're going to find in heaven too, except for the bad music and the bad preaching. You're going to have whatever you have in the mass is what you have in heaven. In fact, before Vatican II, heaven used to be called an endless mass. But when the mass got bad public relations, they cut that out because then people wouldn't want to go to heaven either. They don't want to go to Mass. No, they don't want to go to heaven. So we better not make that connection. But it's theologically accurate that what's happening in the Mass is the self-donative will of Jesus continually being given over, the Father receiving it, the Spirit binding them together in love, and all of us, because of our baptism, being taken up into that circulation of love. And that circulation of love is what the Mass is. So it's all right here. That's why you can have these hilarious characters in church history becoming enclosed monks and nuns. Basically, if you look at the life of a monk, he's a housewife. That's all he is. He stays home all day, cleans, grows a vegetable garden, prays. And when you go to visit him, he's happy. Right? And this is what the feminists, the extreme feminists, hated about housewives. How could you be so happy? Nowhere. You're nowhere. But of course the joke was, no, I'm everywhere. Because I'm in relationship. And you're chaotically and frenetically still searching for the self that needs to be given away. And when we possess the self that then is given away, the form for that giving is each ordinary day. So as a monk can live completely giving himself every day in obscurity and doing ordinary things. The most disappointing thing about going to a monastery, when you're a young man, you want to be a monk or a nun, they don't do much. And they aren't levitating and there are no mystical ecstasies and people aren't getting the stigmata every five minutes. They're just cleaning kitchens, growing turnips, and praying probably more than any of us could stand. And they do it until they die. And they do it in obscure places most frustrating thing about monks is that they always go to the most obscure places. If you want to go on retreat somewhere, you're always, where is this place? You know, because it's way out, like the place up in Skylar. What the heck did they build that place out there for? Right? Because they, they just want to burrow into ordinariness so that even less distracts from their reception of love.
even less distracts from their reception of love. Let your home. Your home is the place where less distracts from the reception of love. That's why you like to go there, hopefully. And that's why those who get it start, you know, canceling their subscription of 300 channels. Because it's distracting to the relationship. And I can't be as available as I ought to be. There was this powerful ad. It was actually very prophetic in the sense of telling the future. That um, it was by Sony. It was probably about 25 years ago. And it was a Christmas ad. And it was in like Look Magazine or Life Magazine. These are old magazines for the young people. When we used to have magazines. For the young people, magazines are paper. You hold it in your hand. And it used to come in the mail. And people got excited about that. They would say, oh, the magazine is here. Anyway, that's history. But anyway, these things called magazines that were paper, and you opened them and held them. There was an ad in it, and it was four pictures, four photographs. And the title on the top of the ad was Peace on Earth. And they showed one lady in the kitchen watching a little Sony TV, a daughter in her room watching a little Sony TV, a husband in his workbench watching a Sony TV. In other words, everyone had their face in a screen, and the title was Peace on Earth. Right, so from a Christian perspective, right, we call that hell on earth. That's hell on earth, and that's what we're living now. Every family is hell on earth. And Thanksgiving, right, visit someone, and literally this happened to probably you, and I know it happened to me. You walk in the living room, and everyone's like this. Everyone's like this. Now, every so often, they'll come up for air, and they'll say something. Hey, I got a funny little thing I want to share with you. But everyone's face is in the screen. Sony would call that peace on earth, because we're all getting what? Our own way. Christianity would call getting your own way, the very depths of boredom. And that's the crisis we're in today. Most Americans are bored and boring because everyone's getting their own way. In other words, we're isolated. And since we're isolated, we are inherently unhappy, but we don't know it because the immediate gratification of what we're getting is anesthetizing our unhappiness. We don't even know we're unhappy because we keep going from hit to hit to hit. And again, the only thing that's going to save us is not necessarily a fully back-to-the-land movement, but what's going to save us is a back-to-the-person movement. Back-to-the-person movement. where the peace is real because it's coming from communion, not loneliness. The peace is real because it's coming from communion, not isolation. Getting your own way feels good for a while, and then it just becomes scary.
It's like eating all the things you want to eat. Go back to that Alaskan cruise or Las Vegas where they put out these huge buffets of everything. And it it feels good at first, like you can get everything. And then you start taking everything. And then it begins to feel what it is. Sick. Because we weren't meant to take everything. We were meant to give everything. That's when the peace and the feeling good is real. Again, that's why we receive the mystery every Sunday at this altar. What's the mystery we're receiving? Giving everything. First to who? First to the person you're sitting next to. Giving everything. Then the peace and the communion is established. So Ephesians 5 says that it is a mystery. What's the mystery? The mystery is, as we said last night, Carlo Cafaro's meditation being taken up into the action of God. What's the action of God? Self-donation. John Paul II was very famous in saying that the church, the, the family had a mission. And the family has a mission because the family is the church. As, as a couple, you married Christ. That's the language. What's that language from? The theology of the church. Why is there no marrying in heaven? Because you're all going to be married to God. That doesn't mean Clyde won't be there with you. Mostly it's the wives. I never really heard this from men too much. But a lot of times when you say, you won't be married in heaven, she gets all upset. Oh, I want Clyde as my husband. He'll be there, don't worry. He just won't be as annoying as he is now. But he'll be there because he too is part of the church, married to Christ. And you'll build, you, believe me, you'll be so fascinated with the Trinity, Clyde won't be that interesting. Remember, you're going to be with God. It's not going to be, oh, should I spend time with God or Clyde? It'll be clear who we want to spend time with. We all want to spend time with God. Because that's where we'll be. With God. That's why the whole conversation about, will pets be in heaven, is somewhat silly. If your pet's in heaven, it'll be like, okay, he's here. But you're with God. And all that grief about, oh, Clyde won't be my husband, or, you know, Sonny the dog or the goldfish won't be here. All that grief is just, you love. And you're afraid that you won't be able to love in heaven. Which, of course, on immediately saying it, is absurd. You think that somehow your love is going to be lessened because Clyde will not be called your husband. When you're at the very core of the furnace of love, of course you'll be happy. Of course you'll be at peace. Of course, nothing will be lost to you that was given to you. God doesn't work that way. Whatever has been given to you will not be lost to you in heaven. He's not evil. He's good. So everyone and anything that you 
believe has been taken up into your identity as one who is uh, a love, love itself will be there in heaven. Pressed down, flowing over, and measured in exponentially new ways. So as a couple, you married Christ right here at those kneelers. And therefore, you are a symbol of the church for whom Christ gave his life right there on the cross, the bridegroom. Where is this mystery worked out? In the kitchen, in the field, in the grocery store. Because we know about that whole beauty of the incarnation, that everything is happening where? In Vegas, no, in the ordinary. Everything is happening in the ordinary. Our peace will deepen when we love the ordinary. So let's be with Jesus just for a minute. Pens, notes, any grace that God is giving you. Just be with him for a minute. So sometimes when we're uh, married, it gets boring. Um, not the young people in here, you haven't been around each other long enough to be bored, except maybe temporarily bored. But older people, if I can tell these two right here, you know, you've gone through a lot of boredom together. And um, there's a sense that you feel bored, right? And it, the, the, the trouble with Americans is they don't go into the pain of boredom deep enough. At the first sign... They escape it. So like hearing this rain today reminds me when I was first married, and this would be a horrible day for me because I'd have to stay inside with her all day. So this is a Saturday. So I was like, my gosh, it's raining. What am I going to do? And Marianne would be like wrapped in a blanket in her favorite chair saying, this is great. We get to stay home all day. I'm like, are you crazy? Let's go grocery shopping. You know, let's do something. Let's, no, we get to stay in and do what? You know, nothing. With who? Together. <laughs> and it was like a death sentence, right? And, but you had to touch, and as the years progress, it's like you have to go into the pain of that boredom. The only one around today is, oh, you. Like, there's no entertainment here. Can't we have guests over? No, it's a blizzard or whatever's going on out there. You just have to stay with me. And you have to kind of feel that and not immediately escape it. You have to go into it. Because in the boredom is the freedom to know that you've been attached to things other than relationships. Most Americans don't know that. But if you let the boredom hurt you, you'll realize, wow, I am really attached to immediate gratification. Now remember, what a relationship is, is the opposite of immediate gratification. It's long, progressive communion. 
what we're doing with each other is entering communion. And that's developmental. It's not immediate. And most of our problems come when we try to make the relationship or the person we live with usable for our immediate gratification needs. And as we try to twist a human mystery into a utilitarian, usable entity for our immediate needs, we destroy it. We destroy what? We destroy the marriage. Because I'm not here for your entertainment. I am here to become one with you through self-donative acts of love. So why don't you just shut up and sit in your chair on the rainy Saturday day and just be with me. No, because it hurts me. Exactly. Egocentricity. It hurts you. Maybe God finally conspired to make this awful day so that I could actually have you in my presence rather than you running around like a chicken with your head cut off to be entertained or distracted. I remember when we kneeled at these kneelers, you said you wanted to be with me forever. Now I can't get you to be with me for five minutes. So boredom is something that we suffer so that we can see the emptiness of what we're attached to. And so what we are made for can then be revealed. And yeah, we have to get used to what we're made for. What are we made for? Human, divine relationships. We have to get used to that because we have spent many decades defining ourselves in other ways. So that which at first is our destiny and good, in other words, humans, almost appear as a stumbling block to our happiness. Now, when you watch older couples who have suffered through boredom to communion, you see a peace in them. Now, that's different from the older couple who are still tolerating each other, or worse than tolerating each other. They are just in the same physical space because it's cheaper to live together than to move out. That's a different kind of silence. That's called anger. So don't confuse a silent house for a peaceful house. But there is a real kind of silent communion that older couples who have suffered through boredom into this communion carry in them as a gift to us. And that gift to us is on the other side of being Americans, being disappointed, being distracted, being bored, on the other side is what you've always wanted. Rest in relationship. On the other side is what you've always wanted. Rest in relationship. That's why they used to call heaven rest. That was particularly true in a, in a time where there was a lot more physical manual labor and people were just physically tired. Now we're so wired in our nervous system from technology, we can't even sleep at night. But in the old days, when you actually worked with your body, and someone said, heaven's rest, that was very attractive, right? Now maybe we have to say, heaven is a successful therapy session where your tension and your stress caused by the iPhone will drain out someday. We have to have a new image. 
Because most of us are just wired in tension and stress. Not our muscles anymore, but our minds. Our muscles are atrophying, but our minds are all tense and stressed. Doesn't matter. Relationships are the goal, and relationships are the source of rest. And that's why when your husband dies or your wife dies, you will cry. Why? Because your, your visual, physical, personal, emotional source of meaning and rest has been taken from you. That's what grief is. And you will cry because you will feel alone. And the scary part for so many American marriages is today is they've always been alone. For the Catholic, the more messy and present you are to each other, the more you're actually getting into each other's bodies so that you will have a good cry when they die. I often wonder if Americans will stop crying at funerals because they haven't really put their bodies into it. And their bodies meaning they haven't really put their emotional presence into it. They didn't really think it was worth a good fight or a suffering. They existed with each other. But they never attained communion. And communion is interiorization of the person you love. You carry them around in you. How'd that happen? Self-revelation. Sharing of feelings, thoughts, and desires. Conversations. Conversations of self-revelation. That's how we internalize each other. Again, we do the same thing at the Mass, right? Reading from the Gospel of Matthew. God is about to do what? Reveal himself. Through what? Through the Word conversation. And what are we supposed to do? Receive it. What's that called? Listening. And then he's going to give us his body and his blood. In other words, the whole person is being given so that what? So it can be received. That's what marriage is. Unless we get distracted along the way. We don't want to do that. For many Americans, uh, they don't have the foundation that you do in the sacrament. In other words, that your love is built upon Jesus giving himself to the church. So in other words, you have a supernatural engine, if you will, in you, which is assisting you to keep doing what many Americans don't know how to do or can't do. In other words, with God, they are disoriented. They're lost. That's why when a new iPhone comes out, there's a five-mile line. And not only is there a five-mile line, it's touted on television like the second coming of Jesus had just appeared. Apple has a new iPhone. And then you see kids all lined up in tents on streets waiting for the phone. It's a phone. And it's a computer. And it's okay. You'll still be sad after you buy it. It's not going to help you. Chill. 
They're disoriented. Why? Because they don't have the supernatural. You ever watch Netflix shows or Amazon shows? You know, Netflix shows. First of all, there's so many of them. It's just crazy. When you scroll through that thing, you see that. You say, what am I going to watch? Then you watch them. And inevitably, they're always sad. You know, you got to, oh, let's watch this cop show. And it's horrible. It's, it's, it's exponentially horrible. Because there's no hope. There's people killing each other. Our people have killed each other since Cain and Abel. Yeah, right. But in this American Netflix series, they kill each other and then they go home and drink. And then they put tattoos on their head and then put needles in their head. Maybe that'll make me happy. What? Is this, this is the end of episode five? This is how it ends? Aren't, aren't you supposed to go to confession or something? And then, you know, next season, you know, the same thing. Because they're made by Americans. And Americans are disoriented. Why? Because they have no point of transcendence beyond their own grief. And if there's no point of transcendence beyond their own grief, they end up with needles in their forehead. At the end of episode six. Makes you want to go drink or just turn it off. <laughs> it's like, are these real people? And of course, you have to say, yes, they're Americans. Who are what? Disoriented. Why are they lost? Because they live in a little jar. And there's no reference point outside of themselves. But you, and this is of course the source of our deepest gratitude, right? You. You believe there's more to you than you. That is the origin of hope and gratitude. And that's why you come to Mass every week. Because you want to say thank you to the one who gives you meaning and doesn't leave you trapped in the self. That's what transcendence and spirituality and the supernatural is all about. When you go home tomorrow night, just watch a Netflix show. And then just say, thank you. Thank you. Don't put a needle in my tattooed forehead. Disoriented. So very gently, very humbly, but regularly with courage, Jesus wants you to reorient the small circle of people who he put you with. In other words, he wants you to start dropping words of hope from the fountain of communion that you live in for the disoriented world. It doesn't mean preaching and it doesn't mean any kind of, you know, histrionics. It means when you're with the people you hang out with on a Friday night, listen for their pain and then see if they want to reveal the pain and then just drop a word of the gospel into the pain. Not a big speech. Oh, the other day I was reading the gospel of John and I read this. Oh, sometimes when I pass a church, I stop in it and just sit with God. 
oh, before me and my boyfriend or me and my husband went on a trip, we said a prayer like this. That's all. In other words, you're reorienting the universe from the enclosed, self-centered, superficial boredom that people are trapped in. And you're saying to them, as for me and my house, we are serving the Lord. Come and see. In other words, you do not have to live like this, disoriented, because God is orienting you to true happiness. So let's just be with Jesus for a minute. Okay, so let's uh, be with God today. This is, uh, some of you may enjoy it. Some of you may say, wow, this is painful. But remember, you want to go into the pain, either of the silence or the boredom. And then you want to talk to Jesus about that. When you're in the silence, when you're in the pain, you want to talk to him about that. What's missing here, Jesus? Why am I not peaceful with you or my spouse? Why do I need more? This is the perfect day, right? can't even go outside. Although if I see anybody walking outside, I'll say, boy, they're having a bad day. They're, they can't stand each other so much they have to get they're out in the wet. They're having a big fight. But we're going to be like in our little rooms, you know, so get your blankies ready. You're going to sit there and someone's going to go mad today. But go mad in conversation with Jesus. In conversation with Jesus. Talk to him about why it feels small. This place is enclosed. But I'm with the one I love. Not only are you with the one you love, you're with God. Uh, saints would call this perfection. Do you want to be anywhere else? Well, no. Here's my spouse. Here's my spouse. Perfection. Why don't I feel it's perfection, God? That's a good place to have a conversation. For those who signed up to come and talk, if the door is closed, probably someone's in there. Not probably, someone's in there. And uh, they went over a little time. So just wander around, go get a cookie, bring me a cookie, and then uh, the time will open up. And you can come, come in at your, at your time that might be a little, little uh, late. So if the door's open, just come in.